Well, you get the right guy working on that resume, you can be at least B-plus by tonight. With yourself a better past. Labor Day, bring it down for those of you who are wondering. I am live. I am live here tonight. Yes, sir. <clears throat> you like the way I'm doing that, huh? Mm. Very good. I'm very live tonight. In fact, uh, you know, Labor Day means nothing to us in the radio. All of you out there, you can tell who the drones are in this existence. Uh, that The streets are clean and clear. And only a few of the truly dedicated are still at their posts. A couple of night watchmen, a couple of cops here and there, old Shep, yeah, and a few hold-up men. <laughs> for those of you who... I, I, it answered a big question in my mind. Uh, uh, for those of you who wonder what the, the inner significance of that comment is, I, I wonder, you know, seriously, though, I wonder how many times in, a, in the course of a day in the course of, uh, well, let's take it even further in the day. Let's say in the course of a month. Each one of us living in a urban situation like this, you know, New York City, big, whoopy, fantastic conglomeration of automated people and all the rest of it, you know. I just wonder how many times in the course of one month each one of us miss total disaster by inches. And not even know it. No, I'm serious. Not even know it. Just walk right out, you know. Boom. An atom bomb goes up behind us. We just missed it. 478 killed. And you say, what the heck's going on back there? You know? <laughs> or, or you don't even know it at all. You read about it in the paper the next day. You don't even relate it to yourself even then, you know. I'm just curious about that. Because just about uh, two hours ago, let's see, this is uh, 10, 18 now. It was about two hours ago, something like that. Uh, I came in down through the, we have a big, we have a big passageway that leads into our building here, uh, WOR, and it's in the process of being built and all that stuff. And I came down through this thing all by myself, and off to my right is a Western Union office with glass, and you can see it through the passageway in there. And I walked in through the, the doorway there, and I noticed a guy, and the guy is standing right by the glass. And he is talking to another guy, but with, with manic intensity. I mean, this is kind of, you know, but you see those scenes all the time here in New York in, in the Western Union offices. You always do. There's always some guy, some, uh, klutz from Chillicothe who uh, suddenly got his pockets picked, you know, somewhere out here. By the way, speaking of, of, uh, of, of the, of the Taj Mahal of our time and uh, people getting their pockets picked and all that, New York, of course, is a, is like a big pot of honey for the tourist world. Has it occurred to you that, that, uh, isn't it ironical that the world capital of New Jersey is in New York and not in Jersey? The world capital of the people of New Jersey is Radio City Music Hall. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the entire state of New Jersey lines up uh, every Sunday and just stands in the rain and just waits for Doris Day to, uh, <laughs> or Rock Hudson or, or Liz or whatever it is. Hey, you know, have you noticed that, that no matter what Liz Taylor makes, it's a family picture? It could be, <laughs> Liz could turn on stag films and they'd still stand in line and, and, and all, all line up to see it with the kids, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of that, I, I saw a, f a funny little editorial the other day about this most recent Liz epic. It says there's been a fascinating new development in films. And it says, do you remember the old days 
when when there were were a whole succession of friendly, crinkly-eyed, uh, wise padres who were always giving the youngsters advice. There was uh, Pat O'Brien. Uh, Pat O'Brien, uh, uh, he, he spent more time in seminary. Uh, Pat O'Brien really spent more time taking confession, one thing or another, than most guys I know who really are in the field, you know. Pat O'Brien was a sort of a definitive padre. Do you remember when he was always doing that? And another one was Bing Crosby, Father Crosby, of course. Uh, and Father Crosby, he was always the young priest who was arriving at the at the church, you know, an old Billy Fitzgerald. What was you see young Spanish round like you? Barry Fitzgerald was always the old priest who was about to be eased out because he was getting crotchety, uh, that kind of thing, you know. And young Bing would show up. And the, you remember that? And, and always there was the big scene when Priscilla Lane would arrive. She was the young girl who sang at the choir, and she was having a romantic difficulty with Jeffrey Lynn. And uh, she would show up, and uh, Father Crosby would say, Sure, and it's not such a hard thing to, to, to deal with, my dear. And he would sit there, and Bing then would sing something like... Uh, Oh, the little light of friendship is glowing. He would sing a song which would explain to her how she should live. She should live a straight, beautiful, clean-limbed life and all that stuff. And and uh, you remember those pictures. There were endless pictures. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Now the Priscilla Lanes of our time are giving the Padres advice on how to live. And... Uh, and, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, we begin to see that the life of free-swinging debauchery is truly the way existence should be lived. And, and in the most current picture, uh, Father Burton is being straightened out by deep-thinking Liz, who is a hippie living on a California beach. And she straightens him out and <laughs> turns him on. And uh, we know that in the background somewhere... Uh, the pure ring of the golden coin of Hollywood truth is once again being minted. Well, this is the kind of thing that, that great long lines of people used to stand out in front of R Radio City Music Hall, patiently waiting for their one brief moment. This, they, on Labor Day, they do it. You see that fantastic line on Easter. Oh, Easter, listen. On Easter, the line, the line peters out somewhere south of Philadelphia, around Chester, Pennsylvania, I would say. And it extends all the way on up just past Mystic, Connecticut, going north. And uh, they patiently wait in line to see all the Rockettes dance around dressed in Easter eggs. Uh, nothing I liked than a good solid religious ceremony with the Rockettes dance with the Easter eggs and the big, uh, you know, the little bunny hats and all that stuff going on out there. It's good, clean family entertainment. Believe me, if Hugh Hefner did it, he'd get, he'd get the run in. Uh, but <laughs> if, it's a, if it's done between a Mickey Mouse cartoon and the selected short subjects and a picture by Liz, it's just good clean, uh, you know, Radio City Music Hall type fun. However, uh, I'm walking around the streets today and I realize that the, that the Rockettes are working. The line from Jersey is working. Even if that line is out there working. A few cab drivers are out yelling. Uh, there's a few cops on the and the, and the holdup men are working. You want to? Oh, I didn't explain what happened. I saw this guy see, and he's he's in the in the Western Union, and I come up to the station here, do a little little chicanery of my own, little work, little robbery of my own up here, and I come up and I I get you know I'm working away and yelling and hollering, and I get back on the elevator after I finish that, and I'm going to go down and get a cup of coffee. 
Well, I get down, and the guy who was on the desk downstairs, he's wild. I, oh, Shep, holy smokes, wow, you just missed it. Wow, if you had come in 30 seconds after that, that guy would have stuck a knife right through your gizzard. He came running out of the Western Union. He says he's got a, he's got a knife about 19 feet long. He's on, I'm desperate. I'll kill. I'm desperate. And he had run around, and apparently I had looked this guy right in the eye, and he was holding a customer hostage. And I just looked at my fellas <laughs> and went right on. <laughs> well, I wonder how many incredible dramas we are all witness to and never recognize. Which all leads me to believe how, how untrue most of the crime dramas that we see on TV are. Uh, you know, the, the naked city stuff, you know, where, where you can always recognize bad guys to begin with. Uh, when you see these movies, you can, and you can always recognize too the wild look in the eye of a guy about the perpetrated crime. You know, he's he's either got the nervous, young, distraught, uh, sensitive boy look, uh, the boy who's been destroyed by society, uh, or else he's got another identifying characteristic, one or the other, where you can tell the bad guy. Oh, listen, let me tell you, no television viewer is ever fooled for more than a minute and a half. When you watch that, never. You watch that TV thing come on the air there, the first five minutes, you know, it says, bum, 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 And the announcer says, another crime in the streets. Yes, once again, Naked City takes you behind the scenes in police reports from the greatest city, the most evil, corrupt city of them all. Bum, 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 bum. In 30 seconds, they know who's done it. They know who's going to do it. And they know what's going to happen to them, you know? And uh, there's no question about it. But it doesn't work like that in life. How would you like to have your Uncle Amel turn out to be an axe murderer? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, or is your Uncle Amel an axe murderer? I maybe have touched home base with a couple of people out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll never forget the time uh, you're speaking of Uncle Amel and, and uh, the, the, uh, the latent axe murderer. I don't know what it reminded me of this, but I'll never forget the time we're all sitting around at home. And uh, everybody's uh, knocking down the, the salami sandwiches and stuff, you know, at supper. And we're all sitting around there, the paper's out, and my old man's reading the paper, and the radio's going along, and the radio's talking away there, see? And they didn't listen to the news in my family. And all the weather. That was, uh, you know, the news just came out. All of a sudden, it, it occurred to somebody that they were talking about Uncle Carl. My Uncle Carl was in the news. Well, <laughs> I had this, I had this, uh, this, is, this is my uh, outrigger uncle. And, uh, oh yeah, there's always, uh, you know how the family, does, you know how family uh, hierarchy works. The people, there's certain people that are in. And then there are other people who are just part of the family. Everyone tolerates them. Then there's usually in every family one or two guys that are way out on the edge, like satellites, way out. They're like Pluto. You know, so far out, nobody ever sees them. You know, they're just way out in the darkness. They're, they're the black sheep. They're rotten. Or they've moved to New York. Now they're living in the village. Nobody talks about them anymore. <laughs> and if they do, they're worried. They write letters once in a while. And then occasionally they get a call from them from, on Christmas. Hey, Ma, this is um, Jaime. Uh, no, Ma, look. Now, will you? Oh, now, look, Ma, I just called to say Merry Christmas. Now, wait a minute, Ma. No, I'm not coming back. No. Ma, I am not. Look, Ma, I, look, I got nothing against Fort Lee, Ma. Ma, not Ma. Well, you know that kind of scene. Well, there's always one. Well, we had this Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl was an early beat. And uh, nobody recognized him as that. Uh, Uncle Carl was just known in the family as a 
bum, you know. And uh, he was a drunk, and he'd sit on the on the running board of his truck and sing, "Yes, sir, that's my baby." He really did. He'd drive up in front of the house. I'm not inventing it. I remember Uncle Carl one time announcing his arrival on Cleveland Street in this this very uh, square Indiana little nothing swinging wild Methodist Baptist town. Uncle Carl drove all the way up from Chicago to visit us in his truck. He had a job for about four days working for a cleaning establishment, and he saw his chance, and he took it. Uh, they had the truck, and he drove, you know, and instead of turning it in one night, he just drove to Indiana. I <laughs> visit everybody. <laughs> Uncle Carl arrives out in front of the house, and nobody knew he was there. And uh, my mother's in the in the in the kitchen there, you know, fooling around with pots. And my 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 father's under the Graham page, yelling at the transmission. And my kid brother's under the you know he's under the daybed, crying. And I'm I'm walking around, you know, just typical family time. And I'm I'm walking around. All of a sudden you hear, yes sir, that's my baby. No sir, don't mean maybe not. And my mother says, oh my God, no. Just stop him, stop him. <laughs> and all right, you know, the neighbors are all looking out. And they're sitting out on the running board of that Chevrolet pickup truck. And on the side, it said August cleaners and dryers, you know, 24-hour service. His old Uncle Carl, 17 sheets to the wind. His tenor banjo roaring out over the neighborhood. And his false teeth clattering and banging. He had the greatest set of false teeth that sounded like our Xavier Cougat's marimbas. Accompanying him. You hear him rattling away there. And he's saying, yes, yeah, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean baby. Oh, yes, sir. Hey, I'm here. It's Carl. Yes, yeah, sir. Oh, boy. My mother says, shut him up, will you, quick. Uh, <laughs> well, now, that, that, uh, that's the Uncle Carl. See, well, we're all sitting around the house. And, uh... Now, speaking of outriggers, this is WOR, way out of the mainstream of radio. Oh, yes, but there are plans afoot. This is going to be the hottest, rockin'est, rock and roll station of business. Stay tuned, friends. It's coming your way. Hit it. Go on. The soup. That's right. The money button. Go on. Let's hear it. We don't... Just wonder what... Let WOR, while they're out playing around, we're still spinning here. We're still making the money for you. Bring it up. see that commercial where they slide that bottle, a glass of beer, over 70? Wouldn't it be just fantastic if these guys had one little ounce of humor in them? None at all. It would have been one of the greatest commercials of, at all time. If You know, you see the guy drawing the commercial? He's drawing the beer. See, those close-up shots. You know, These guys, have you noticed there's better camera work today on commercials than Ingmar Bergman can pull off? Well, they spend more money on a commercial than Bergman does on a film. Really? Oh, some of these things cost... Four hundred million dollars, more than War and Peace. Really, they've worked years and years. And so, the drag guy, reset that commercial. I'll show you how it goes. And now, now that's the music they use for it. You know, 
Reset it there. Now, all right, now, now I'll, I'll give you the cue when to do it. See, you've seen that on TV when uh, there's a close-up shot, see, and you see this, this bartender, or apparently it's a bartender, I hope, anyway, you see this big ham-like hand, see, and you see a big stein, a big beautiful glass, and little lights flashing and everything else, and then you see him, he's drawing a schooner full of that heady brew, and then the music starts, and he takes it, see, he takes that, he takes that beer, see, and he goes, he slides it along that that long that long mahogany bar, and it's going. It's sliding, see, and you see it sliding past people. You see it sliding past chicks. It's sliding, see, and you're following it. What a shot! And the lights gleaming on it. You see that big heady brew. It's sliding. Look, this is a 175-yard bar. It's longer than the ball ground, you know. It's still flying. It's not slowing up at all. It's going, whoa, it's a kite in the windy sky. There's more spirit to it. It's coming closer and closer real fast. It's going faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, pow, all over some guy. Just like that. The guy makes a grab for He gets it in the face and it cuts. Now, wouldn't that be a funny commercial? Uh, yeah, you know, these commercial guys, they got no sense of humor. Somebody would say, no, we don't believe in downbeat commercials. <laughs> well, whew, wow, that was exciting little drama there, wasn't it? Now, wouldn't you love to see that beer just flying to that chick's lap? She makes one wild grab for it and goes all over her. You just see the last thing she's jumping up and like that. And the voice says, there is more spirit in it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, speaking of um, beer commercials, we might as well bring it out in the open. I, I uh, remember this friend of mine one time. There was always a, there was always a myth. There always is, you know, about commercials. People have all kinds of, but commercials were much funnier back in the days when they were live. There was much more pizzazz to the commercial, uh, and I used to do them. Did you know that I did many a commercial? Oh yeah, I, I, I was on TV for a long time before I came to New York. And did a lot of television, all kinds of TV commercials. Where? Cincinnati, in case you're interested. And uh, I, I used to do all kinds of one, oh, wild commercials. I remember one time, <laughs> if you're interested in commercials, I'll never forget rehearsing a commercial. Oh, it just, it was, you know, we rehearsed this commercial for about, uh, oh, half an hour. And it was a big commercial. It was going to be shot all over the country, uh, the Midwest. You know, one of those cut-ins on a show where they have a Midwestern net that they had some product that was not sold out here in the East or in the West. It was sold only in the Midwest. It was a Betty Crocker. Ah, it's coming back to me. It was a Betty Crocker product, one of these cake mixes or something. See, and they were, they were promoting a concrete cake or something out there. See, some kind of a cake that they didn't, they, they didn't do it out here. See, and uh, out here they were selling something else, you know, rubber donuts or something. I don't know. And uh, so uh, uh, there was a show, see, and, and we had rehearsed this commercial. It was timed right down to the split second. And uh, it was a cut in and out, you know. And the announcer on the or the show it was one of these uh, these lady type, you know, uh, you know these ridiculous lady type shows in the afternoon with these guys. Hey, have you ever wondered how grown up men can get so excited over playing charades? Have you ever wondered how grown up people get? It looks like uh, it is. It is. It's. Oh, oh no, no, it is. Our mystery guest is. Oh wow. Oh, Zaza Gabor. Oh, oh. 
I wondered how guys can get so excited over seeing that old doll all that time. Every, you know, I often wondered. <laughs> they all seem to get so excited over the little trivial things. And grown-up people like Dennis James can get so excited over playing a little game with numbers. You know, he says, it's number one. No, no. Come on now, ladies. Guess. No. Oh, no. <laughs> she just missed. And now here we go. We're heading for the big jackpot now, folks. And you just wonder, you know. Of course, that's a special non-talent. And uh, you have to work hard at that. And I'm in the middle of one of these shows, and uh, I'm doing the commercial. You want to hear the story about that? And we had rehearsed this commercial. And the guy had the camera, and they had a big, they had a big, long runway, like a funny kind of a thing. This runway came down in the studio where we fed the commercial to this big Midwestern network. And it was a big studio, very involved, very complex studio. It had cameras, lights, thousands of things. It wasn't, wasn't WOR, you know, a little wind-up transmitter we got down there with little filmies and stuff. I have a feeling, you know, you remember when they used to have, you remember when, when you were a kid and they used, to, they used to have these little movie things you could get for Christmas that you wind with a crank? And you look into the light and you see a little paper film goes past. It's got Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck on it. I, I, I see now that that has been improved and it's Channel 9. Uh, <laughs> the wind gets behind us. We can get hurt all the way up in the Queens. And so, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on this, this, uh, this commercial. So it's a very funny bit. And, and, and uh, I, oh, it's very complex. You know, one of these things where it had all kinds of little, uh, the, the commercial copy came. It says, uh, announcer picks up box, moves to right. Uh, takes turning spoon, moves in the bowl, you know, that kind of thing, shows bowl, uh, picks up egg, shows egg, uh, smiles, then it's, uh, go back to the announcer eating piece of cake, and then all the jazz, you know, back and forth, cut the 18-second film clip. Oh, very complex thing, you know. And it looks so easy on TV, you know, when you watch it, and you see this guy, he just says, yes, friends, it contains the new magic ingredient. And he disappears, and you see, ding, 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 little thing dripping, magic ingredient. And then he says, not only that, friends, and he disappears again, and once again, you see people people rowing upstream in a boat. It says, yes, friends, those people who are engaged in very tough activities, they go, blah, 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 blah. So it says, and, and, and only add this. And it's so complex. There's all kinds of little things going on. See, so Shepard is, you know, absolute confidence. I'm, I'm going down the idiot card there. And Diddy Carr says, yes, friends, Betty Crocker once again makes available to all of you good cooks out there. All of you people who want to really give your family a treat. Yes, sir, in hockey, gickle conk, in your spittle lock, magic ingredient, the soft, silky, movie, ah, bah, mild, and, uh, you know, all this jazz. And I am rehearsing this thing. The camera's about, you know, about six feet away from me, and the idiot card works over it, you know? It's going on a, on a, on a, you, you know how those things work. It's got a little reel and all that jazz, you know, teleprompter and all that stuff. And everything's going uh, hunky-dory, as my old Uncle Carl would say. And uh, it's smooth as... Uh, oh, what is that stuff that it's smooth as? A baby's... Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Well, anyway, it's going as... Uh, just, oh, uh, well, you know, I wish I could... It's funny, i got a funny memory. Well, it's on the tip of my tongue. You know, it's like a song. You keep thinking almost about three notes. You almost know. Well... Anyway, uh, everything is going great. See, and I'm watching this thing, and we're going along. The lights are going off and on. And we keep uh, back and forth, and uh, uh, we rehearse it. And it's real clean, see. And the director says, okay, fellas, all right, take five. Take five. We'll be ready to go in a minute and a half after the five-minute break. All right, be back here in just five minutes quick. All right, on the ball. So I go out, and I get myself a cup of coffee or something, a little cafeteria now, and I get a cup of coffee, and I come back, you know, and I've got the makeup on and all that jazz, and I've got the boxes and everything in my hands. I come back, and I stand at the desk, and now we've got about 30 seconds, and the <laughs> and the director's saying, all right, 30 seconds to go, we got 15 seconds there, time, all right, Chef, now pick up the Betty Crocker box, all right, 
I look up. And don't ask me how or why, all of a sudden I realize they have backed the camera up, and the camera is now 174 feet away. It's up on the end of the, um, of the, the ramp, way up in the air, and they're tilting it down at me, and I can't see that idiot card. It's like trying to read an idiot card at the end of a football field. I'm, all of a sudden I says, hey, I can't see it. And just as I said, I can't see it. He says, all right, we're on the air. Here we go. Take one. Bing. I see that little light. I says, ha, ha. Uh, well, uh, hey, uh, friends. Uh, uh, I couldn't even remember the name of the product. You know, I says, uh, friends, uh, <clears throat> Brack. Uh, we have here, uh, I look at the thing. I says, oh, it's Betty Crocker. <laughs> uh, yes, Betty Crocker, friends. And uh, we'll open up here now. And uh, this uh, Betty Crocker makes... Uh, uh, a devil's food angel cake uh, mixer, Rooney. Yeah, oh yes, it makes a devil's food angel cake. You mix a, oh egg. What's the egg? Egg doing it? The guy's pointing at the egg. Oh, oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah, the egg, egg. Oh, it's a devil food angel egg special whip cake. <laughs> you just take the egg up and I'm fumbling, and the egg flies out of my hands. Quash! And I can hear muffled screams up in the control room. You know. And I see the camera is coming at me like a freight train. They have suddenly realized that I can't read the idiot card. The camera is going down that ramp. It's going, whoa, screaming. And we have about a minute and a half already gone, you know. We've run over a half a minute already on the commercial. He comes, whoa, an idiot card. All I can read on the idiot card. Thank you, folks. And back to the show. I mean, thank you, folks. Back to the show. Pow. They got. And we stood there. And you know, it's funny. Have you ever been where there's been a great accident? That silence that follows a giant crash? And you can hear something dripping in the distance. Little pieces of glass falling here and there, you know. Well, I stood in that, that in the middle of that gigantic, and there were, there were account men sitting up there, you know. All these guys, these official-looking people with the black suits, you know, the black looks. They're all sitting up there next to the director, and there was a silence. Oh, there was a silence. It just hung there for about 30 seconds. And, and, and then you could hear way off in the distance. You could hear in the control room. I could hear this guy pounding the desk. I could hear the engineer. Oh, no, no. The, the director, he's on. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, oh. And all I did was just turn around with my little box of cake mix my little egg all over my shoe. I was, one of the, I was one of the very few people you've ever known, seriously. You've always heard of guys with egg all over their face? Well, I was one of the few people who actually had it all over them. I had egg on my kneecap. I had egg down on my shoes and everything else. And I just walked straight out of that studio and across the street to the Barzi. And I just stood there looking into the mirror. <laughs> and let me tell you the, the kicker of it all. When that was all through and all the screaming and yelling... I turned around. I wasn't due back in the studio for another half an hour. See, and I figured they fired the whole bunch. You know, the, all the Midwest was fired. Everybody. They just fired Chicago. <laughs> you know, the whole thing. Well, I came back into this place, and here's the director. He's sitting down in the lobby. And he's just sitting there, see, and he's got a whole bunch of papers in his hand. And he's white. He is just white. And his hair has turned white in 30 seconds. You've, you've always heard about guys whose hair is white. Here is this little old weasened man. This old, old man. You know, funny, he had only been 27 when I left him. And there was this little weasened old man. His collar was too big for him. Now he got skinny. 
He had a big Adam's apple hanging out. And you know how old men get when they really start going, when they start giving up, you know. They drool a little bit on the edges there, and his zippers were sort of half open. And he'd spill tobacco juice all over his coat, you know. And you could see soup and all kinds of stuff. And he had a little toothpick sticking out of his ear, you know. And, that kind of, and he's sitting there, and this little old man is sitting there down at the desk. And I walked through there, and I says. You know, I looked at him, and he looked up at me, and I saw immediately, of course, I saw who it was. It was Bob. And I said, hello, Bob. And Bob looked at me, and he says, you've aged. And I said, so have you, Bob. He says, so have all of us. We've all aged here. And then I saw this, this, this old lady go past. We had this, this woman who was a script girl. She was 19. And she went to the University of Cincinnati, you know, those little people who sit around with clipboards, you know, and give bark out instructions, and they think they're in production. Well, this little old lady went past wearing a flowered print dress. It's funny, she'd always worn Toreador pants, you know. And she had a flowered print dress, and she had one of these net bags, you know, that had all kinds of knitting and stuff in a little pot on the top of her head. And she was going out for a breath of air. And I turned and I says, look at who, uh, hello, Clara, is that Clara? She says, yes, I'm going out for a breath of air. And she went out and I helped her out across the street, you know, with my cane. And, uh, <laughs> well, well, the upshot of it all was, is that Bob says, you won't believe this. And I said, what? He said, we just got a wire from New York. And they said that was the funniest, greatest commercial they ever saw. What a fantastic commercial. He said, where do we go from here? I said, well, Bob, I don't know where you're going, but I, I've just called up the CML. And uh, they said I could come back. And uh, where are you going? He says, well, I'm opening up a little hamburger station in Lazarus, Kentucky. And so <laughs> we parted company. And that is, is, uh, is the kind of thing that you see. I mean, this is, and, and, oh, people, people in, in commercial, the commercial world, believe me, theirs is a calling, a serious calling. It's almost like a religion. And you know, uh, we're sitting there, you want to hear what happened, Uncle Carl? Well, Uncle Carl, see, we're sitting there one day, and all of a sudden it is announced, they're, they're, they're talking on the radio, and my father says, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's Carl we're talking about! And sure enough, they're talking about my Uncle Carl. He was caught, do you know, do you, do you remember the ride they had out of Coney Island? Do they still have that ride out there with a parachute jump? My Uncle Carl was halfway down on the parachute jump and it got stuck. And Uncle Carl was stuck in the parachute. And <laughs> they were announcing it on the radio. Well, I never knew, you know, no one could figure out how, first of all, Uncle Carl got on the parachute ride. Uncle Carl was a confirmed drunk. And if he ever got a hold of 15 cents, he went right into George's Tavern. He never went on parachute rides, and no one could figure out how Uncle Carl got on a parachute out at Riverview Park in Chicago, you know? So you know Riverview. You know that ride. That ride's 9,000 feet high out there, you know? And, and they're announcing on the news that Uncle Carl is caught in a parachute ride. And it was his name, you know? There was only one guy whose name is Uncle Carl. I mean, you know, you hear a lot of guys just named Carl, but they were announcing Uncle Carl Musson is hung up there. And so everybody is, everybody, my dad says, quick, let's go. So we jumped into the car and we tore like mad to Riverview. Riverview was the Chicago version. This is the Chicago version of a combination of Palisades Park and Coney Island with just a little bit of the city dump thrown in. And, and uh, it, was, it was right, you know where it is, Jim, you saw it on the side there. 
And so it, it, there was a crowd. It was like 18 million people all gathered around, and they're all looking up there, and they're all saying, oh, poor man. Oh, poor man. I hope they save him. Oh, and you saw up there this parachute, sort of a half-collapsed parachute, way up in the air, and you saw Uncle Carl bang to the gills. Uncle Carl is sitting up there, and you can hear him singing and hollering, and he's sitting there up there. What he was doing on the parachute jump, I to this day don't know. Nobody. It's one of these great traditional stories, the time Uncle Carl took the parachute ride. And of all, they had, they had 14 million successful descendancies in this thing, drops. Uncle Carl is the one guy at 18 million that hung up. And there he is. And they're, you know, they're st sticking him with a stick. They're trying to poke him down. <laughs> Guys are looking down from parachutes. They've got guys flying over in helicopters. There were stories that says, see stories of man trapped in parachute. See it tonight in the Chicago Tribune, full 27-page picture series. And that was Uncle Carl. And we stood out there, and, and finally, four and a half hours, it's dark now. He had got hung up there about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and it is now about 10 at night. They've got lights on him and all that. Uncle Carl never in his life had made the big time. Uncle Carl was never famous in his life. He had made, he'd been there, you know, he, there was a little record once in a while. They wrote his name down on Polk Street Station occasionally when they dragged him in and rung him out. But all of a sudden, Uncle Carl is in the big time. Well, let me tell you, his picture was in every Chicago paper big. Man saved. Of course, Uncle Carl's got a sappy look. Both of his eyes are looking. They did not say he was, he was taken down, drunker in a coot, yelling and hollering. He wanted to stay up. He liked it up there, you know. And he just thought he was high. Apparently, Uncle Carl was up there swinging from that parachute. He just thought that was some fantastic bourbon he got. You know, he, didn't, he was really up there. Well, they brought him down and they, they interviewed him, you know. He was, he was in the Trib, he was in the Daily News, he was in the Sun, all of them, you know. It says, man says uh, he, he enjoyed experience, would not do it again, you know, that kind of thing. And Uncle from that minute on, everybody in, in the family, at least for about a month, Uncle Carl was the visiting celebrity. Uncle Carl was really big time. He was in the Trib. Uncle Carl, you know, have you ever wondered how a released axe murderer is when he comes back home? He's been in the paper, you know, and all that stuff. Everybody vaguely knows, here's a guy that's been there. And if Uncle Carl had, had been around today, he would have been on a Huntley Brinkley show. We all know that. Uncle Carl was far ahead of his time. He would have been, he would have been on, uh, on Walter Cronkite's day, News of the Day. Les Smith would have probably been talking about him. Sure. Uncle Carl, oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and right now, right here in this town, there are people who are preparing for a certain kind of, uh, of um, it's, not really, uh, it's not really fame, it's notoriety. It's that brief moment when there's a picture taken of a crowd and there's your sappy look. Uh, I remember the only time I've ever had anything happen to me like that where, where inadvertently I became part of a big scene was one night in, in Philadelphia. I'm walking along the street. And it's dark. And I'm off work. I'm, I'm working there to midnight. I had a, no, one o'clock in the morning. I had a late night show, see, and I, I finish at this radio station there. And I'm walking down the street. You know how you are, Jim, after you finish the show and it's dark and there's nobody. You, of course, know that they turn Philadelphia off about, uh, oh, 10 o'clock. Uh, it's just turned off, you know. And so, uh, uh, you know, everything stops. It's all turned off. The machinery quits and everything. And so I'm walking along this dark street in the middle of Philadelphia, right in the middle of town. And I'm walking past one of these fancy hotels. I wasn't really right up to it yet. I was coming up to it. One of these fancy, dark, sort of uh, uh, made out of mahogany hotels they've got in Philadelphia. When around the corner, I see behind me, I hear, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
these the wild sirens and the guys with flashing lights and they come I'm nobody else is on the street, just me. I'm walking along there and a guy comes sweeping around and he stops right next to me and it's a cop with one of these big blue crash helmets, you know. He's all right, Mac, come on, come on, get on all right, all right, up against the wall there, Mac. All right, up against the wall. That's what, what, what? I mean, I mean, I'm just innocent, me, me, me. And you know, of course, there's always a little thing that's inside of each one of us. That is the little thing of guilt that says, "Uh oh, all right, it's all over. They got me. This is it." You know, <laughs> you always expect the hand to lay on your arm one minute. You know, they say, "All right, come with me," and there's going to be that thrill of, "Uh oh, uh oh, what? Which one is it now? What is it?" You know, everybody's got it. So he backs me up against the wall, see, and I'm standing up against the wall, and I see another siren come. Whoa! Another guy pulls up with a big green helmet. He gets off in the flashing lights and all that. And then I see coming around the corner this fantastic big black Cadillac. One of these VIP Cadillacs, you know. It's about 37 feet long. Big black baby comes around the corner there. Lights flashing all over. It comes up. And behind it is another big black caddy with lights. And behind that is another guy with a motorcycle. The whole thing. And he stopped right by me. What is this name? This cop's got me backed up against the wall. I'm the only guy that, oh, holy smokes, they said Jay Edgar Hoover himself to get me. You know, this is it. What did I do? No, I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll make good, I will. You know, I'm standing up there. He's, all right, back, back against the wall, Mac. Who are you? What, what, what's your name, Mac? I said, yeah, you, do you know that in moments of fantastic crisis, you can't remember who you are? Are you aware of that? And immediately, you're, you know, you're dead. I mean, immediately, Melville wrote a whole story about Kafka wrote about this, you know. When they get you, when the lights are flashing, you forget, you know, and, and you'll confess to anything. If they bark it out quick enough, all right, all right, Mac, here's the axe. Where'd you put the body? Down there, under the, under the, what do you mean, what body, what body? Oh, come on, don't give me that jazz. And by George, I'll bet you'll find a body. I mean, that's how deep our guilt is. So I'm standing there, you know, and I'm up against the wall there. Oh, boy. I can feel my shoulder blades digging into the rock, you know, behind me, and I see this car and these guys, big guys are getting out with big black suits, you know, and they've got all kinds of attache cases and all that. And I see something like getting out of the car, Ike, General Eisenhower. Just getting out of the car. Ike, you know, the psych. I'm an old, you know, Huntley Brinkley fan. I can recognize Ike. I've seen him on the newsreel. Ike is getting out, you know, and he looks just like Ike. He's kind of bald head, kind of pink face, you know. Ike gets out of the car and he's surrounded by these guys with the black suits. This was before Ike was president. He was running for president, too, you know. And I, this is Ike, and I'm the only guy. And I look, and Ike goes up the steps right next to me, and he's got about nine guys around, bodyguards and all that, and photographers and guys running, oh, 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 Ike, Ike, how about another question, Ike, Ike, Ike. And Ike gets up on the steps there, and he looks down and sees me. See, he looks down there, and I look up at Ike, and this guy's poking a stick in my ribs, you know, oh, get back, Mac, get back, Mac. And I wave at Ike, and Ike waves at me. And I wave at Ike, and I was, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was trying to calm him down, you know. I figured, you know, you know you're trying to placate everything. Everybody runs it. I wave like that, see. I wave. Flash guns are going. Well, instants later, the entire scene is dark again. They have all gone into the hotel, and there I stand. A couple of vacant motorcycles are there by the curb. So I go walking on. This is holy smokes. Well, and then next day there is a full page picture, like a big picture in the front of this big, this big uh, humor paper in, in, in Philadelphia. They got this funny paper there. And it's a full page picture, like big half page. It says Ike Sean greeting, Ike Sean greeting admirers. 
at the hotel. And it shows Ike waving, and there's my arm sticking out. That's my arm. That's my Clummy Bond sport coat, you know, the one that I bought that shrunk and it had the little, had the little, little, uh, you know, the little hairs that stuck me all the time in the shoulder, the one that rode up on, you know, on the back there. <laughs> and, and I'm waving like that. See, you can see the back of my head. And it was me. I am Ike's admirers. Well, <laughs> I didn't know what to say about that, you know. At that point, I was a Stevenson man, see. And here I am, Ike's admirers, see. <laughs> Well, I sent that picture to my mother, and she's got it framed. That's her son's political career. And uh, you, these 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 little brief moments in the sun, these little oh, we just cherish them. How many of you? How many of you have known a guy uh, who carried around in his wallet? I wonder how many people listening right now have got in their wallet little worn clippings from the local newspaper, J. W. and Mrs. Andrews motor to Trenton to visit relatives. And he keeps this forever and ever and ever. It's the only time, you know. I wonder how many people have things like that. Uh, the thing that says, uh, you know, that Knights, Knights of Pythias elect new assistant treasurer. J.W. McAndrews III was elected the assistant treasurer of the Knights of Pythias Utopia Lodge of uh, Fort Lee, Kentucky. And he's got this thing. And he wants to know one thing. Oh, yeah, you know, he takes it out and looks at it or shows it to people. Or uh, somehow, somehow it shows that he really is existing. He's alive. Are you aware that, that, that there is a great desire for people to see their hometown in a, in a movie? To see a street corner that you know, and, and yeah, sure, it's true, that everybody all of a sudden realizes their town is, in a, is real. It's in the movies. You know, that's and 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 I know streets in this town right now. I know streets in this town where people sit on the stoops and they look out and they say, "Do you know that Richard Burton walked on this street?" Yes, sir. There was this movie called Who Shot John, and there was this fantastic scene where Richard Burton walked right down the street. I'll tell you, uh, Jaime and I were both here. You know, Jaime, uh, but they they made us go back in the house and we were looking through the curtains. I saw Jaime, Jaime looking up, and it was Richard Burton. You know, he's fatter than you think. Anyway, he walked down there, he turned, you see, he went right by the fire plug down there. And you know, see, we've got the little fence down there that says, don't step on, well, this is where Richard Burton was. Well, he walked right down there, turned left, went right past Stanley's, right past Stanley's cigar store, there on the corner there. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's the most exciting time. Why, do you know that Ann Macy almost had a heart attack, and she missed, she was at Macy's that night. Well, uh, this, this, uh, this sense of reaching out and uh, be assured that it's really here. Hey, fellas, all of you guys out there, who've been fooling around this whole weekend, you know, out there with, uh, with uh, the whole business, with the big holiday, you know, all you guys have been off, Labor Day. New York is still here, you guys. New York is still here. The offices are still here, fellas. <laughs> all that stuff that you've been hiding in the bottom drawer of your desk that you've been putting off, and one day they're going to discover you never did, it's still here, fella. Still here? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I know one building here where the bosses were in today changing the locks on certain key offices. Are you sure your key will still work in your office when you get back tomorrow, fella? Have a good time, though. Don't worry about it. It's all right. It's probably the best thing that can happen to you. Getting fired often means onward and upward, fella. You know what happened to Clarence. I'm going on to become big. So don't worry about it. We'll see you tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, gang. Stay tuned. It's following. Now, Fantasy Bill follows in just a moment. The news. Stay tuned.